faith. Uh, Lynn talked this morning about this idea of having belief but knowing that you need more belief. And sometimes we can have faith but we know we need more faith, correct? Is that correct or not? It is correct, isn't it? Yesterday I went to the event that Sherry's going to be talking about later and I was called, I was introduced as a quasi-pastor. A quasi-pastor. What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. A quasi-pastor means you're nearly there. You're doing okay. You're not quite there, but you're nearly there. It kind of means, hmm, doesn't it, being a quasi-pastor. So Sherry calls me a quasi-pastor yesterday, like a pseudo-pastor, and then a few weeks ago I got called not the handsome Paul. Alright, so I'm like, I'm realising I'm obviously some kind of like, I don't know, some kind of like weird creature that comes to this place. I'm like the hunchback of Lake House Church, you know. I should walk in going, the bells, the bells, or something, I don't know, you know. I'm realising there's something obviously wrong with me, okay. I am the quasi-pastor, the guy who's not quite made it yet. But I think there is an element of truth in that, you know. The fact is with faith, sometimes we know we need more faith than what we have right now. And the fact is that all of us need this, you know. So uh, my, my work, uh, people say, oh, people who do what I do, which is that whole thing where you kind of, in ministry, you live by faith. Have you heard that phrase? Living by faith. What they mean is, well, you know, you don't have like a, a definite salary coming each day. You kind of wait on the generosity of people who give to the ministry and then you, you kind of live off that. As though in some way that I'm living by faith and you're not. But we're all living by faith, aren't we? Um, years and years ago when Joel and Levi were first born uh, Levi's always been a little bit you know kind of fairly affectionate and then we, we had Joel and uh, Joel has always kind of like from the minute he was born we've been chasing him you know he's never really been a cuddly kind of person uh, so I came up with a manipulative tactic which worked really well when he was younger I used to take him swimming and uh, we used to go to the, the uh, swimming pool and what I would do is I'd take him in the shallow ends and when he was a little infant, I'd hold him on the shallow end, and he'd like to be splashing, he'd be playing around, and he was quite comfortable. And then gradually, I'd move towards the deeper end. And the deeper the water got, guess what he would do? He would start, I'd get, it's the only time in my life I would get cuddles voluntarily, you know? He would start to hook me, and grip hold of me, and, and, and cuddle me. But the fact is, if I'd have dropped him in two foot of water, or four foot of water, as a little baby, unfortunately, he would have drowned anyway. But at this point, he just didn't sense that. But at this point, he did. The fact is, we all need to grab hold of God, don't we? It's just that for some of us, we're a little bit more obviously aware that we need God to turn up today, or else we're in trouble. The fact is, we all live by faith. Uh, my old pastor had a phone call one day and he was talking to a guy who was a businessman and this businessman said, you know, I could never do what you do. I could never live by faith like you do. You know, the way you do as a minister. And, and my pastor said to him years ago, but you don't realise you are living by faith. Yeah, but it's not, not, quite the same, not, can't, not quite the same way you do. And of course, two weeks later, bizarrely, this guy phones him up saying, pastor, pastor, I've just lost my job. My business is going under. I don't know what to do. We all live by faith. But some of us know we need to grab hold of God just a little bit more. So is there a quasi-faith and real faith? Quasi means not quite right, not quite there yet. It means partly or pretend. Partly, it's part faith but not the whole thing that God has to give us. 
Because faith is a gift, isn't it? We have a gift of faith. And maybe this morning God wants to give you a gift of faith to believe at a higher level than you have in the past. Who knows? Maybe that's what God has in store for us today. So how can we compare? What, what is the difference? What will the gift of faith do in our lives? What will it do in us? And what, we, what will it do through us? I want to compare these two things between Peter, who had a kind of human faith to start off with, but then was revolutionised later in his life, and Jesus' faith on a night that defined their lives, which was the night of Jesus' arrest, his trial, and the next day, his death. Let's compare... Peter's faith and Jesus' faith on those two occasions. I want to talk about three things. The first thing I want to talk about is B plans. B plans. Let's turn to John 18 and we'll start reading from verse 1. It says this. When he finished praying, Jesus left them with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was the olive groves and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, if you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so the words he has spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? Uh, I've been in a lot of trouble in my life. Uh, I've been uh, frog-marched by police, armed police, and banned from two areas of the world twice in my life. Once in Canada, and once because I walked 15 kilometres uh, in between uh, of no man's land in Berlin. I've been chased through a European subway station by police because I broke an underground train. I've been frisked and spread against a metal fence because of mistaken identity. I'd been hosed down by officials because I slept in a zoo and they wanted me to move on. I've had a police inquiry come to my house because on my birthday there were so many drugs that somebody uh, overdosed and went into a coma. All those things have happened to me and yet I've never been arrested. I've never been arrested but God was. Isn't that amazing? God was arrested. God was bound and forced to go where God did not want to go. He was led. He didn't lead. He was led. God was arrested for you and me. That is absolutely bizarre to me. That God was arrested. Not only that, verse 4 says, he knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. And I think this is one where the differences of faith comes. Real faith knows it's going to hurt. Quasi-faith only suspects it might. Real faith 
knows it's going to hurt. In fact, I want to suggest this, that sometimes the way we think about faith is we almost start thinking faith is what's given us to help us believe it won't hurt. We have faith to believe that if we do something, if we sacrifice, we're going to get. We have faith to believe that if we step out, God's going to protect us. But is that what faith is given for? Jesus' faith was the faith to believe it would happen. Jesus' faith was the faith to believe it would go ahead, it would be effective. Whatever was done would accomplish its purposes. Sometimes our faith is more about, we'll do it, and we're going to believe that God is going to look after us. And of course he will. But what happens if he doesn't? What happens if we're martyred? What happens if we give and it just is a sacrifice and that's the end of it? What happens then? Isn't that the kind of faith that we need the gift of faith for? Do you not think? Because there are lots of times where if I knew that if I gave I would get back, I'm not sure it actually requires that much faith. But it does require faith to do what Jesus did because Jesus had the faith to believe that when he did it, it would work. It wasn't in vain. And maybe God's calling us to do stuff right now and the faith he wants to give you is to believe that it's worth it. It's not that he's trying to give you faith just to believe it won't hurt, but that it's worth it. It's going to be effective and it's going to make an absolute difference to the world. God does not have a B plan. Now there are kind of three B plans that Jesus could have had. There was a supernatural plan where you know, the angels could have come and delivered him. There was a human kind of plan where Peter could have come with a sword and chopped off and rescued him, chopped off the ear of the servant. There was an independent plan where Jesus could have just rescued himself. Do you notice what happens there? I don't know if you miss what happens in this story. When the, when the soldiers come to Jesus, he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says these two words. He says, I am. Amen. Do you know what he's doing there? He's saying he's God. He says, I am, and they fall backwards because of the power of what he's just said. They're stunned by what he's just said. And then they pick themselves up, and again he says, who are you looking for? Jesus could have rescued himself. He had a supernatural opt-out. He had a human opt-out with his disciples. And he had an independent, he could have just done it himself. And we have the same things, don't we? We have the same things going for us. We have a, a supernatural sounding thing, you know, where we can, God has called us to do something, and we do something that's spiritual and seems like it, but isn't it. It's a part faith. There have been lots of times in my life where I know God said to me to do this, and I said, well, I can do this, can I go in the same direction, but it's not quite this. There's the human opt-out, the human B-plan, where you and I can find anybody to tell us that what we think God said to us isn't quite right. And we, hear, we, we can find anybody who will say to us things like, well, if you don't have a piece of God, it can't be right. Well, I just don't see that in the Bible. Because what we really mean is peaceful. If it's peaceful, it's not right. Well, I've been troubled greatly sometimes when I've done things that God has told me to do. I've been scared out of my mind. It's bothered me. I've, I've been really troubled because I know what's in store for me if I do it. I'm sure you've been in that situation as well. But we can all find the people, because what happens, we don't speak to certain people, we find the people who will tell us what we want to hear. We can all find that human, supernatural, human, I should say, B plan. We can all find that kind of independent B plan where we just find an alternative, where we do something different, but 
Jesus' faith, the faith, the gift of faith that God has got for us is different from that. Different, it's more powerful than that. It takes us through the problems. And yes, sometimes God protects us. And yeah, often God is no man's debtor, so often he rewards us. But the fact is, there's a, a faith that we can have that goes beyond that. B plans aren't unique. All of us are faced with them. Um, years and years and years ago, in a church that um, Lynn and I uh, went to and eventually led the church, the old pastor once said to me about the toilets. He took me into the toilets. weren't as nice as Lee's toilets, I'm about to show you, but he took me into the toilets and he said, he said, we once prayed here, this is what he said to me, and Satan was in the room. So what do you mean? He said, he said, we were praying and Lucifer was in the room. We really felt the power of Lucifer, not the devils, not the demons, Lucifer was in the room. And I remember thinking to myself, I was quite young, so I was quite respectful. I still am, hopefully, but I was fairly respectful. And I remember thinking, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, the devil is not omnipresent. Amen. God is. The devil isn't everywhere. God is. The devil isn't everywhere. So if he's going to be somewhere, he's not going to be in the toilets in Manchester. Okay? <laughs> It's just not going to happen. He might have been in Northern Ireland. He might have been in somewhere in, the, uh, in Beirut or somewhere, maybe. He wasn't in the toilets of North Manchester. But there's this idea we get that, that the thing we're facing, nobody's ever faced before. We've never, we never, yes, very belongs, rather. You don't say much, but that was very good. Okay. <laughs> But when we get this idea, you know what, there's, there's this idea where the thing we're about to face, nobody's ever faced that before. Yeah, we know, we know people have been tempted before, but nobody's, nobody's been that misunderstood by their wife before. You know? And nobody's faced that. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says that no temptation has seized us except that is common to man. We've all faced it. But not only that, so is Jesus. Amen. Jesus has faced the exact same kinds of temptation that you and I and he was faced with B plans as well in fact he was literally tempted directly by Satan with a B plan can I encourage you that the faith, the gift of faith means that we don't need B plans we can stick to the A plan, the thing that God said to us in the beginning and notice what it says in verse 11, it says this Jesus commanded Peter put your sword away Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given to me? What did he mean by that, the cup? What did he mean by the cup? Well, at the Passover, when people drank from one cup, they would pass a cup around. Last week we had loads of individual cups, yeah? Uh, but they would, they would have this ceremony where they would, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but they would pass a cup around. And when they passed the cup, they were entering into a covenant with each other. This will help make sense of some other scriptures in the, in the Bible later. So they passed this cup and they were entering this, this covenant and the phrase that is, that's used of this covenant is that we're joining together for one common destiny for good or for ill. One to share a common destiny for good or for ill. So remember when the disciples are presented to Jesus and they say, can they, can they sit at your right side? And he says what? Can they drink from the same cup? as I he meant can they share can they share the same destiny will they go through what I'm about to go through that's what the idea of the cup means now bear that in mind and let's just go to what happens next because what happens is they're in the garden sorry before this they're in the garden aren't they and Jesus takes the disciples and then he says this prayer 
and you read this prayer a little bit later on and he says this he says um, my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me may this cup be taken from me may this destiny Jesus is saying may this destiny now I used to think it's just kind of a phrase he said he was just being like spiritual you know just kind of phrase you know oh take this cup from me but not my will your will but the more I studied the more I realised this was a genuine question and the the reason this really hit home to me was where Jesus is the garden of the Gethsemane had been prophesied many times in the Old Testament that this was going to be an escape route for the Jews it's mentioned many times this, this actual place in times of crises and judgment as an escape route by Zechariah. Zechariah uh, prophesizes it in chapter 14. Now you might think, well that's just a coincidence, Jesus just turns up here. But the fact is, just before he says this, he quotes from Zechariah. This is really in Jesus' mind. He knows what this place means. And he literally says to the Father, hey, will you take this cup? away from me and then he says these incredible words but not my will your will that's the first time and somebody pointed this out to me that's the first time or the only time really you see that Jesus had one will that was different from the Father and and, and it's almost like we have this idea of Jesus that he just was like some kind of robot but he faced challenges And he gets to a place, he goes to a place that's known as an escape room. Who knows what he's doing? Is he reminding the Father of the Father's promises? I don't know. But he's there. I'm totally convinced he's conscious of what this place is. And he says, is there another way out? Is there a B plan? Is there an escape route? But he answers his own question. Not my will. Because my will's the B, the B plan. Your will. But Jesus has this faith that goes beyond B plans. And that faith is here for us this morning. It's a gift. It's not something you can work up. Peter didn't have it at this point. And we see that in the next bit. I think of this, I think of tapestries for reason like explain. But we're going to read from John uh, chapter 18 a little bit further on. Peter's first denial. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard but Peter had to wait outside at the door the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the girl on duty there and brought Peter in Okay, just so you understand what's going on here. There were lots of, when Herod rebuilt the temple, there were all these different courts to make it look really big. And there were certain places that you could go and certain places you couldn't get in. If I was a God-fearing, God-fearing Gentile, there were certain places I could get to, but I couldn't go any further. Same with Peter as a Jewish man. There were certain places you could get to, but you couldn't go any further. But... He had a disciple friend who was a bit like Matt Powell. He could get you into places. All right? Matt Powell's really good at that. He kind of gets us into places. We should all see him afterwards and find out what he can get us into later on, apart from trouble. Uh, but he would, he would get... So he goes, and this disciple goes and says, listen, I'll have a word. I'll see if I can get you in. So he has a word and comes back and says, yeah, hey, you know what? Let's nip round the back. Let's get into the high priest's courtyard. And as he's about to get in, he gets stopped, doesn't he? And this famous incident happens... You are not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. 
Peter also was standing with them warming himself Peter wanted to get as close as he could to Jesus without getting hurt Peter wanted to get as close as he could to Jesus while still denying him that's the level of faith that Peter had at that time faith to want to get close to Jesus but at the same time denying him now I've got to be honest that's my faith level sometimes I have faith that I can get I have faith that he's loving I have faith that he's kind I believe these things but at the same time as wanting to get close there are certain things I deny him do you? and when I'm alone things are different because Peter was pretty brash in front of people but here he is alone now when it says a fire um, history tells us that this kind of fire was what they used to do is they had a fire that really it wasn't a burning fire there was no flame usually it was just red hot so that courtyard was really really dim really dim there was just a little bit of light you could see, see kind of shadowy faces and he gets there and she's not quite sure and he denies you know what Peter could have stood next to Jesus if he'd wanted to he could have been as close as he possibly could have wanted to all he had to do was say yes I am because Annas the guy who interrogates Jesus one of the first things he says to him is tell me about your disciples I want to see them I want to meet them I want to know who they are if he had said yes I am he'd have been stood next to Jesus close as you and I could possibly get to Jesus he'd have been there what stood in the way wasn't the Romans what stood in the way was this denial it's that whole yes you know come closer but stay away yeah and that kind of faith is a faith that sometimes I have but I know that there's this gift of faith that can take me much closer to Jesus than that faith is not simply to make us feel good about ourselves and real faith makes us one with God with his will quasi faith makes us one thing in front of people and another when we're alone have you ever wondered why because Jesus was alone for a lot of this time wasn't it have you ever wondered why Jesus he's got all these people following him he's like a superstar and then next minute they're all shouting crucify him have you ever wondered why that happened maybe not I don't know I have maybe I've got one of those inquisitive minds why did that happen well history sometimes helps us when we understand a little bit of context of what was going on so Jesus is arrested at night and it's on the Passover so at the Passover what you've got to realise is everybody's eating and drinking in fact they all drank at least four cups of wine there were, there were four cups of wine and we're not talking about just juice we're talking about wine that they drank four cups of wine and that has an effect on you okay if you drink four cups of wine it's going to make you very very drowsy and that's what would happen in fact the rabbis came up with this saying or this this law that on the Passover you have to make sure you're awake because he said if you dozed off if you dozed lightly that was okay but if you fell asleep you hadn't fulfilled the commandment of celebrating the Passover so I want you to imagine this at sunset when the first four stars would come out in the sky they would realise it's sunset they would, they would, they would, uh, they've got the Passover time okay? so what they're doing now is they're eating a lot and they're drinking a lot as well and they're absolutely tired that's why when they're in the garden Jesus goes off to pray he comes back and he says can you even stay awake yeah. no they're, they're shattered they've been partying hard this is not like us drinking little cups, you know. 
This is like a part, this is a celebrate, a full-on celebrate, one of the big celebrations of the year. So Jesus is then taken, he's on his own. Think about this, he's on his own. And during the night he stands trial on his own. Peter could have been close, the disciples could have been close, but they, they deserted him. He's stood on his own. And then he's sentenced. And then every shouts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Well, who shouts that? Because the fact is, it's early in the morning. Uh, if you look at Mark's Gospel, I think it's Mark's Gospel, you, you realise that he's been sentenced around about sunrise. Well, everybody's sleeping it off at sunrise. At sunrise, he's been, sen- he's been sentenced. And some commentators say, the, pretty much the only people there were a handful of people, but it was mainly Romans and some of the chief priests. So I just want you to imagine this for a moment, okay? If they're right, these commentators, which I think they are, then what you've got to realise is, Jesus, have you ever felt like that? You're totally alone. Yeah. It's, not that, it's not that everybody rejected him necessarily, although many had, but many just didn't know what was going on. Right, right. They go to bed, knowing Jesus, this, Jesus, this rabbi is probably celebrating Passover as they are. They wake up, and at nine o'clock, when the first temple service starts, they're on the way to church, and suddenly they see there's Jesus, who last they saw was doing these amazing things, He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's got a cruci- he's got a, uh, um, he's got a cross on his back, and his his back is is bleeding because he's received the forty lashes minus one. It's too late. They've gone to bed. They woke up, and Jesus is about to be crucified. It's too late to do anything. Yeah. And for me, I just imagine. I mean, one of my biggest fears in life is being sent to prison. It just is okay. And what I, it's because deep down I hate missing out on anything. I can't, I can't cope with the idea of being in prison and everybody's having a good time. I just can't cope with that. Shoot me, you know? I, I just don't want, I just can't cope with that. I, I, I can just imagine this idea that she's going through all he's going through and he knows there's these people who love him who would do everything they could to rescue him but they just don't even know about it. Just, nobody knows what he's going through. Don't we need faith in those situations? Don't we need faith that's, that's greater and bigger than the faith that we have? We need faith because we can't just rely on people. There's a, I went to see years ago, I'm going to put a picture up of the, the Bayo Bay Tapestry. I think you can pronounce it Bayo Tapestry. Um, this is a, a tapestry depicting the uh, Norman conquest of Britain and the big fight between the Anglo-Saxons and the Normans. It's been dubbed uh, Britain's first ever comic strip because it tells a story. It's, um, it wasn't made by the British though. Um, I think it was this I went to see in a museum years and years ago and it's beautiful at the front but at the back it's a complete mess because at the back what you've got is a load of threads and some kind of shape but you can't quite make it out for me this depicts faith I've just written about this I'm going to read this to you just so I can be concise because we want to pray in a moment let me just read this to you the Bible does not teach us to trust in luck or fortune It does, however, mention the providence of God 13 times in its pages. The expression means to know in advance. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The original root word for plans is an artistic term that has something to do with weaving. It can also be interpreted as meticulous, not left to chance. Imagine a tapestry. On one side the picture is clearly seen, 
but on the other it is a confusing mishmash of colours, shapes and loose threads. Most of these threads represent our choices. Some are good and some are not so good. The remaining strands symbolise the things that have been done to us. God takes these threads and weaves them together the greatest tapestry he can from the choices we give him to use. Or as the writer of Romans puts it, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. On our side of the tapestry, we struggle to see the outline, but on God's side, he's weaving the complete story for all to see. It's all about partnership, and our partner is somewhat of a creative genius. Faith. Faith that God is going to take all our choices, good and bad, and he's going to weave the best story he possibly can out of those things. It's not a case of just thinking, well, God's in control, so he'll just do what... We're not fatalists. We live by faith, not by fate. Faith is listening to the word of God and putting in action and giving God all these threads, all these choices that we make, believing that he's a loving God and he will make the best use of every single one of them. Let me just leave you with one more thought about faith and the importance of faith. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible and thought to yourself, there's some really weird stuff in there that makes no sense at all. Well, that's what the Jews did as well. It's not just you and me. We think, oh, it must have made some sense to the Jews, but a lot of it didn't. In fact, they had a special word for it. But let me just read something to you first. Let's just carry on with our story and just read the last few verses. John 19, going to read from verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross, uh, crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So the Jews had these rules and there were, there were two names for them. One was Mishpatan, if I'm pr- uh, pronouncing that correctly, and one was Hukim. And these statues and ordinance. And the first ones were obvious. There were things like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. There were the kind of things you would do that just don't need explaining. In fact, even if you weren't a lover of God, you would probably do them because they made some sense, you know? But then there were these, this hukim, these, these rules, or these statutes, these ordinances that made no sense at all. And one of them was this, and the Jews did them even though they didn't know why. One of them was this, that for a very, very, very long time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they'd known, because it said in the word of God, that when they prepared the lamb, they must be very, very careful never to break its bones. It made no sense. They did it blindly for years and years and years and then suddenly it made sense. Suddenly Jesus dies, they break his bones, they break his bones, but they don't break the bones of Jesus. And then hopefully they tie it to the psalm because the psalm says something really important. It says, A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Let me finish with this last question to ask ourselves what commands has he given you that make no sense now but could unlock a future mystery 
What commands has he given you now that will help you identify his direction in the future? Sometimes God's put these commands, these rules, these things into our lives and they make no sense at all. And it all comes down to this. Do you have faith to believe that he's right? Do you have faith to trust him? One day, they may make sense. One day, they may unlock a future mystery. One day, they may help you with direction. But, if we ignore them, and then one day they may make sense for all the wrong reasons as well. So I need faith if you don't. I need to live by faith. And I know I need a gift of faith. It's not just the kind of faith I work up. Peter later received the Holy Spirit. And full of the Spirit, he helped change the world. Without it, he denied Jesus chopped off people's ears, got out of the boat, which was good, but then began to sink. He had part faith, he had quasi-faith. It was nearly there, it was almost there, it was, mm. but God had this incredible outpouring of faith to fill him, and he has that for us this morning. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time worshipping God, if you notice, we changed the service a little, so we can pray for people who know they need an infilling of the Spirit and of faith. Now, if you don't, don't worry about it. This is not for you. If if your faith's fine right where it is, that's fine, okay? But if you know right now, you know what I need, I need something of God, then I want to encourage you to humble yourself and we're going to pray for people this morning that they'll be filled with the Spirit. Let's just bow our heads. I'm going to ask the guys to come out. They're going to lead us in worship again. But for now, let's just uh, close our eyes if that's okay and we're going to pray a little bit.